Welcome everyone to The Lighthouse, a podcast series dedicated to providing advanced financial planning and wellness insights to the clients and their families we serve. My name is Jack Butler and my business partner, John Stanford and I lead the Hatteras Wealth Manager Group at UBS. Today, I'm excited to be joined by Carrie Shuffman, head of UBS Women's Strategic Client Segment, who's gonna share with us some insights regarding a topic that's very important to our practice. And that is how we can empower women to take a more active role with respect to their finances. Studies show that women often defer financial decisions to their spouses for a number of reasons. Unfortunately, eight out of 10 women will end up making financial decisions alone at some point in their life, and many feel unprepared to do so. Have no fear though, Carrie speaks with clients all over the world on this issue on a daily basis and does an excellent job of sharing an uplifting message that helps inspire people to get involved and to take action. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, welcome everyone and welcome, Carrie. I just want to first start off by saying that we are thrilled to have you on the show today. And I think our clients are going to get a lot of value from your perspective. And just want to thank you for taking the time to join us on the Lighthouse today. Of course. Thank you so much for having me, Jack. It's great to be with you this afternoon. Well, we're glad to have you and certainly forward to hearing your comments here in just a second. But just to start us off, Carrie, would you mind just sharing with us a brief background of your role here at UBS and how it fits into the firm's intellectual capital that we provide clients? Sure, of course. So um, my role at UBS is I'm the head of our women's strategic client segment team. And really what that means is our team is dedicated to helping women navigate their financial lives and prepare for their financial futures. And our ultimate goal at UBS with the creation of, of this team and the work that we do is really around helping women achieve financial well-being and, and helping to encourage women to take their seat at the financial table, as we like to say. So. About four years ago, UBS leadership decided to build out a dedicated team really to focus on these efforts and to build out the resources, intellectual capital, and capabilities to be positioned to best serve our female clients and prospective clients and their families, and to help women meet the unique financial needs that they may have across the course of their lifetimes. Um, yet, you know, I, it behooves me to also mention that, that our foundational to our approach is that we at UBS fundamentally believe that women are a population, not a segment. It's a little bit silly to call 51% of the population a segment. And so that's really been uh, a key part of our approach and, and how we've really thought about how we can best serve our female clients and prospective clients, which is not looking at women as a niche industry, but rather recognizing that women are a population. We all have unique needs, unique financial goals, financial concerns, um, and really trying to do extensive research to better understand as a firm, what are the key trends in society, in the U.S., around the world um, that impact women and men differently. So, for example, one of the major uh, pieces of, of research and one of the major statistics that has guided everything that we've done is the fact that in the U.S., eight out of 10 women will find themselves at some point in their lives in a position where they have to manage finances on their own. And so the way that our team really fits into the broader broader kind of firm intellectual capital is, is exactly that, which is how can we help our female clients and prospective clients navigate their financial lives and also be supplementary to and complementary to all of the comprehensive and holistic wealth management um, services and solutions that, that UBS can provide to our clients and prospective clients. And that is such an invaluable uh, resource and service for uh, our practice. I know that John and I have tried to make a, 
a very big emphasis of making sure that, that we are communicating this content, this research and these findings to clients because it is so important. And I know that it might come across as daunting that eight out of 10 women are going to end up managing finances on their own. And, you know, I, I want to make sure that we are, you know, realizing that this is a reality that we have to uh, work with clients around. I think that from time to time, we do have to talk about some difficult conversations with clients uh, so that we can achieve better outcomes in the future. And in your view, Carrie, why has this been such a difficult subject to approach with, with clients? What has been some of your findings around that? Yeah, well, I think you're exactly right, Jack, which is that we can't stray away from these difficult conversations because they're incredibly important and, and having the conversation can you know, help to lead to better outcomes, to helping more women and their loved ones be prepared for, you know, whatever may come one's way throughout the course of life. Um, You know, even looking at the current situation that we're all in with the COVID-19 pandemic, none of us could have ever foreseen the situation that we're in. And yet, you know, detailed financial planning, having difficult conversations can help people prepare for whatever, you know, whatever life's curveballs may be. So I think one of the reasons, though, to answer your question as to why it's been such a difficult subject, there's a few reasons, really three, I would say. The first is, um, interestingly enough, our research, which we titled Own Your Worth. So our Own Your Worth research that we've done at UBS over the last few years where we've spoken to thousands and thousands of both women and men from all different ages, backgrounds, races, professions. So we've we've spoken to a very, very diverse population of, of men and women, women who are married, women who are single, women who are divorced, women who have become widowed. We heard that about half of women in couples, in particular in heterosexual couples, defer the major financial decisions to their spouse or partner. So one of the reasons that it can be really tough to bring this conversation up is because we do see that about half of women within partnerships are not actively involved in those decisions. So that's one reason why it can be hard to bring it up because there's that lack of involvement and that those higher rates of deferral. Um, a second reason is, and I think that this ties back to that first reason, which is talking about money is still such a taboo here in the U.S. and around the world. You know, I would say that talking about finance is one of the last taboos and, and people are more comfortable and willing to talk about so many other topics that traditionally were, you know, you were taught not to talk about, more comfortable talking about some of those things than they are about money. And that's a variety of reasons. Money is very personal, you know, so there's that taboo factor. And then, of course, the piece that, you know, having some of these tough conversations, it's it's hard to talk about what you would do in the event of the unexpected. It's hard to face mortality or to think about, you know, a worst case scenario or tragedy or, or death or divorce or sudden illness. But it's sort of like keeping, you know, an umbrella in your trunk, uh, in the trunk of your car for a rainy day. You do it because you want to be prepared. Um, and in a time of crisis, the last thing you want to be worrying about is getting up to speed with the finances because there's going to be so much else on your plate. So that's the second and the, uh, reason. And then the third, I would say, the third reason why it can be such a tough subject is the misperception that exists around uh, financial engagement. And it really doesn't exist anywhere else, but there is this assumption, particularly among women, but also among men, based on our research, that you have to be an expert or have a certain level of knowledge about financial matters to be meaningfully engaged and involved in your own financial matters. And, And that's simply not the case. You don't need to follow the markets closely. You don't need to understand how to calculate a bond yield to be able to ask yourself the questions around, you know, who are the people that matter most to you? What would you do in an emergency? What are your goals for the future? Um, and, And so that, I think, is a big piece. And in fact, our research, our Own Your Worth research showed that 
seven out of 10 women believe that women overestimate what's required to be financially savvy. So again, it can be a difficult subject to approach because many people find it overwhelming or or just simply don't know where to begin. Yeah, that that is so important. And there's just so much to unpack there and just some some really great points. So I just want to start off by uh, first talking about, you you mentioned how in your research, you talk with um, thousands of of women and couples um, across the country and I just thought it'd be a great opportunity to use this platform, Carrie, for you to give a voice to the women who have maybe had some unfortunate experiences and they found themselves where they're suddenly having to make important financial decisions following uh, a death, divorce, or just something happening. What would they say to the audience right now? And what have been some of those uh, lessons that you've, you've heard from them thus far? Yeah, well, you know, I think the research really speaks for for itself. So rather than, you know, even my trying to put my own voice to the words and the wisdom and advice that we've heard from other women, I think that the data and, and their words really speak for themselves. So in our research, we had the opportunity to speak with thousands of, of women, as I mentioned, but in particular, we spoke with hundreds of women who had either gone through a divorce or who had lost their spouse, been widowed. And in that research, it was really interesting. Um, over half of the widowed and divorced women that we spoke to said that they wished they had been more involved in the financial decision-making while they were part of a couple. And a full 98%, so almost every single one of the widows and divorcees that we spoke with through our Own Your Worth research, would advise other women, regardless of age or marital status, life situation, to participate more in the finances now. And a full 97% of those women that we spoke to would recommend other women to become more financially educated. So I think that that really truly speaks for itself around uh, the desire that these women had whom we spoke with to share their experience and to share what they learned and, and what they maybe wish they had done differently and what they'd encourage other women to do to avoid the situations that they, they found their sel- themselves in. And so, you know, interestingly, over half of the women that we spoke to who had gone through a divorce or who had been widowed found what we called financial surprises. So um, things that they weren't expecting as it pertained to their financial situation, maybe it meant that they're, you know, they had taken on as a couple more debt than they realized, or maybe there were um, accounts, um, you know, spending was higher than they thought, or even sometimes it was just simply that not realizing that uh, a will or an estate plan hadn't been updated in, in many years. But so again, it, I think this really speaks to the importance of being engaged, being aware of your financial situation, you know, having a seat at the table in those conversations to be prepared for, you know, whatever may come, even if it means being happily married for 50, 75 years, being prepared for anything that might come your way. I think that the research and the words and wisdom that we glean from these women is, is incredibly important to highlight. Absolutely. And I think we've also just seen culturally, there's been such maybe a, uh, a different perception of, of money and how people talk about finances, because I happened to be on the phone with a client this morning who, she was a, a newer client, uh, husband had passed away recently, and she has just been kind of on this treasure hunting mission the past couple of months to figure out where everything is. And she had, uh, while I was on the phone with her, just laid out everywhere on the kitchen table, all these different financial documents, trying to make sense of it all. And what we found is that, you know, typically your, your silent generation never really talked about finances. Uh, at all, for that matter, everything was very close to the chest. So they tend to distribute assets and accounts all over the place. The baby boomer generation, having gone through that with their parents, clearly, you know, they're they're trying to make amends and do things differently than maybe mom and dad did. But really, as you look at the next generation, the millennial generation, and even X for that matter, 
has the trend of women's participation in finance uh, improved in that regard from gener- from one generation to the next? Give us some some in- input as to how or if that's improving at all from from the older generations to the younger generations. Yeah, you know, it's it's a great question, Jack, and and perhaps surprisingly to to anyone who's listening, our research has actually shown that these trends are not improving. So research has shown that across generations, the rates of deferral are actually relatively equal and that this trend of deferring the financial decision among women in partnerships and the the sort of lack of confidence as it pertains to being heavily involved in making financial decisions, regardless of whether you are in a couple or whether you're single, really has continued throughout the generations. And and it doesn't seem to be changing. And, And I think one of the big reasons for this is that gender roles in our society do still run really deep. And we as human beings tend to repeat what we see growing up. So even among millennial women, for example, if millennials grew up with baby boomer parents who maybe fell into more traditional gender roles, they as millennials, men and women, are going to be more likely to fall into those same roles in their own households, you know, either individually or as they marry and start families. So that's sort of what we've seen. And and actually, in particular, to highlight that, our research has shown that millennial women in couples defer at higher rates than any previous generation. So again, this dynamic really is not changing. And rather than breaking the status quo, millennial women in couples are actually perpetuating it. Which I find unbelievable. I mean, I, I was completely shocked by that. You know, my, my impression, and I've seen this in your research, is that um, single millennial women absolutely believe in the importance of equal participation of finances. And they pledge to be different in that regard uh, for once or if they get married. But as to your point, they end up falling back into long-term norms after they, after they marry. So clearly there's maybe some gender roles that mom and dad act a certain way. That's how they, they tend to, to, to follow. But what are some of the other reasons as to why that may be the case? Yeah, well, and to your point about the research, you're exactly right. So about 80% of single millennial women we've spoken to through our research told us that 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 they do hope to marry someday. And when they do, they plan to take an equal role in the financial decision decision making with their future partner or spouse. And yet, as you as I mentioned, over half of millennial women who are actually in couples in marriages do defer. So there is some this gap uh, between intention and action when millennial women actually uh, get married, which is is really interesting. And, And we see it among single millennial women as well, which is that single millennial women are the most likely to admit that they know they should be doing more when it comes to their finances, more than any other um, generation of single women that we spoke to. And so I wanted to just highlight that, but, but also to answer your reason, your question, I would say the four key reasons that our research found for why rates of deferral among women around long-term financial decisions and investing decisions does hover around 50% come down to four key reasons. One is ingrained gender roles, which I mentioned before. The second is, is time constraints. The third is complacency or or just a lack of interest in in dealing with the financial matters in the household. And the fourth is keeping the peace, not wanting to start arguments, not wanting to wanting to question, you know, your current spouse who has been taking the lead on those decisions. So those are some of the reasons that we hear as to why women cite their lack of involvement in those in those decisions. Sure. And and whether it's millennial women or or, uh, older women, I think you also talked about something. Uh, earlier that I really wanted to come back around to, and that's the 
the aspect of confidence in their knowledge over finances and, and personal finance for that matter. Can you just spend a, a, a few moments just kind of talking more about that and whether or not you actually see an improvement of women's participation in finances that correlates with a higher level of income and education? Does that tend to be the case or what have you guys found in that regard? Yeah, so surprisingly, I would say that the rates of deferral are very similar across not only generations, as I just mentioned, but across income, background, profession, education level, and, and even breadwinner status, interestingly enough. So even among women who are out earning their spouse, so among female breadwinners, about 40% of women who were the breadwinners in their households through our Own Your Worth research told us that they let their spouse or partner take the lead on the financial decisions, which is really interesting because, again, going back to that concept of gender roles running deep, among the men that we spoke to, when we asked men, you know, are you involved in, do you take the lead on the financial decisions, and if so, why, many men cited the fact that uh, they were breadwinners as a reason for why they took the lead and made the majority of those decisions. So when men are breadwinners, it does seem that their breadwinner status is a factor as to why they take the lead in the decisions. And yet among 40% of female breadwinners, they still let their partner or spouse whom they're out earning take the lead on those decisions. So that that rationale doesn't necessarily translate as strongly on the side of of women when it comes to breadwinner status and financial decision-making, taking the lead on those decisions. Well, I appreciate you highlighting that because I think that's just such a common misperception that, you know, amongst clients that if I don't know enough, then I need to defer that to someone else who, you know, whether it's uh, they're the breadwinner or whether they have more knowledge around that, that kind of uh, thing. I think, um, like you said earlier, you don't have to be an expert in all aspects of finance or investing or financial planning, but just, you know, trying to make that, that, uh, that effort to be a part of the process, I think is of the utmost importance. And you also talked about um, when it comes to just gender roles, and I think that might tie into the time constraint thing as well, where at least in our family, I, I noticed that there tends to be very much of a divide and conquering type of mentality. Mm-hmm. And I noticed in your research, a lot of women have echoed the same thing where there's only so much time in the day. I'll yeah. be the first to admit that with my wife and I and an 18 month old, uh, there are days where it seems like it's, it's survival mode. And, and you just feel as if there's only so much that you can do. So how would you address that issue, which I know is so important for many clients, regardless of, of age? Yeah, I mean, you, you, I was just about to add something and, and you, your question is exactly right, which is it's really important to note that there is a tremendous difference between abdicating or deferring and delegating, right? So taking a divide and conquer approach, we all have to do it. We can't all do everything every day. There's just no way. There's not enough time in the day, as you said. And it doesn't make sense for all of us to do the same thing, especially within the context of a a partnership. You know, I'm going to do these things and my partner or spouse is going to do those things. And But so that's where I think it's okay to delegate, which is to say, I'm going to handle these things and you can handle the finances. I trust you. And I trust our financial advisor and I trust our, his or her team. And I'm going to let them, you know, run with our financial plan, keep an eye on things, make sure that we're tracking towards our goals. And that's okay. Delegating is okay, but you need to be involved and aware. And that's the difference between delegating and completely deferring or abdicating and having no concept of, you know, how you're invested and why, where all of the accounts are, what you do in the event of an emergency, who you'd call, you know, those are the things that, you know, at least 
to be able to, you know, whether it's quarterly or monthly or annually, sit down and go through everything and have a really firm understanding of where you are and where you're tracking towards your current financial situation as well as the future state. And then if, you know, on the day-to-day or the month-to-month, you want to delegate that to your partner or spouse or to a financial professional, that's absolutely fine. But it's just so important to be involved and aware. I love that. And I think that's a, that's a concept I'll, I'll probably echo for the rest of my career, Carrie, is, is, the, is the concept of advocating versus delegating. I think that is so important. And also, I just want to take a couple of minutes to talk about, you know, when we typically work with clients, we focus on the three major needs and risks that they have for their finances. And, and the way that we address that is through what we call our wealth way framework or our 3L framework. There's 3L standing for liquidity, longevity, and legacy. And we're actually going to be hosting a podcast episode solely talking about the whole Wealthway framework and all the benefits of it and, and why we feel so passionate about it. So we won't spend a tremendous amount of time uh, on it, just broadly speaking. But I would love to hear your opinion as to how this relates to the women population and how we're you know, helping uh, women um, make better financial decisions. And you wouldn't mind just kind of talking about the needs for these three areas for liquidity, longevity, and legacy, and how it pertains to your research and and what you help clients with? Sure. Yeah, so liquidity, longevity, and legacy, we call them the three L's at UBS, and and it's a great way of thinking about your financial situation and and your wealth across these three kind of time horizons um, in in a way that I find is very digestible and very tangible. So liquidity is really your needs right now and for the next, let's say, two or three years. So needs that would fall into the liquidity bucket include having an emergency fund, going through cash flow planning, budgeting, understanding, you know, any large purchases that you're planning to make in the next year or two years, that would be your liquidity bucket. Your longevity bucket would be, um, you know, needs that are, let's say, three years out through the course of your lifetime. So things like retirement planning, long-term care, life insurance, planning for potential medical costs, wanting to purchase a second home, you know, in the long-term future, those would fall into the longevity bucket. And then the last would be legacy, which are really the needs that go beyond your own and beyond your lifetime. So for loved ones, for society, for your community, and that would include charitable and philanthropic considerations, estate planning and family considerations like inheritance, um, as well as, um, you know, how you align your wealth with your values and sort of the footprint that you leave in the world. So maybe that means um, a focus on ESG, environmental, social and governance, sustainable investing, um, and, and things like that. So that would be the, the kind of the needs within liquidity, longevity, and, and legacy. You perfectly summarized that. And then also would like to get your opinion on the risks associated uh, for, for those three areas for, for women. Uh, what have you found to be the, the risk uh, for those areas? Sure. I mean, on the liquidity side, I would say there's three key risks. One is, of course, we know that on average, women do tend to earn less than men, um, which results in less income over the course of their lifetimes. We also know that uh both widows and divorcees tend to lose about 40% of their income when they become single, which is actually double um, the percentage of, of what men lose if they become widowed or divorced, uh, which is, is really interesting. And then, of course, there is the loss in wages uh, because of time away from work, either to take care of children or, in particular, to take care of aging parents. That tends to research shows 
fall, uh, the burden tends to fall on women in the household to take care of aging parents as well. So kind of stepping in and out of the workforce or taking time away also results in, in lost earnings and lost wages, which results in less saving over time. So those are some of the liquidity risks, longevity risks. I think a big one comes back to that statistic I mentioned, you know, at the very beginning of our conversation, which is that eight out of 10 women in the U.S. will end up alone and solely responsible for managing their finances at some point in their life. Interestingly enough, almost 60% of women who are turning 65 today will need long-term care at some point over the course of the rest of their lives. And then, of course, the costs of of that long-term care, whether it's the cost of a nursing home, the cost of in-home care, uh, assisted living facilities, those are are really, really, um, they can be very expensive. So those are some longevity risks and financial considerations there as well. And then lastly, on legacy, I think, you know, a large percentage of baby boomers today, almost half, actually, I think about 40% plan to leave an inheritance. So how is that in place is, is a big piece that needs to be addressed. This concept of giving while living and passing on wealth while one is alive, particularly given, you know, increased life expectancies is another consideration around legacy. I think people often think of legacy as sort of, you know, when you're gone, but legacy can begin at any point, thinking about the values that you want to pass on to loved ones, the causes that you care about, and how you're going to use your wealth to benefit, you know, others around you or your community or society. So those are some of the legacy considerations and and risks as well that that women and men need to be aware of. And, And I know I've talked a lot about the risks to answer your question, but I think what's really important is that through financial planning, through working with you, Jack, and your team, working with a financial professional, having these tough conversations, these risks can in many ways be mitigated or at least planned for so that they're not unexpected risks. Um, and there's a plan in place to hopefully address them. So, so there is, you know, a bright side and a silver lining, which is with the right planning, the right conversations, the right approach to these risks. And people can find themselves in a position where they more, are more prepared to, to handle and, and deal with them. Absolutely. I mean, we couldn't agree more. And I feel like the fact that people have uh, power and, and I feel like with the, the planning process, it gives them the power to have control um, over all these different aspects, I think is of the utmost importance. So I think, you know, if it, it just the importance of having a, a plan and, and having that conversation um, is very meaningful. And I think just one of the, the things that I picked up on that you'd mentioned was just this concept of giving while living, for example. You know, I think oftentimes, you know, with clients, they, they tend to not really have an idea as to the best ways of being able to accomplish that. But when you have a framework like that, liquidity, longevity, and legacy, uh, lens of how you view your your assets, I think that can uh, definitely be a great way to be able to address that. So, and I think also just in looking at uh, the benefits you had talked about, you know, these are certainly all the needs and risks that people have. And, and but just what are some of the other benefits uh, that women can experience with being more involved in their finances that you found through throughout your work? Yeah, well, Jack, I love what you just said um, a moment ago, which is having the power to have control over your financial situation, over some of the risks that might come up, some of the curveballs that life might throw. I think that's a huge benefit, which is uh, being involved and aware and, and engaged in your finances, having a seat at the table is a way that you can prepare for the unexpected, you know, or be, you know, feel confident in what you do if something does happen. And then it also allows you 
to plan towards your goals, to have that power to control, to help control your future, whether it means, you know, giving while living, for example, or planning towards uh, retiring at a certain age or buying that beach home you've always wanted or paying for children or grandchildren's college tuition. Um, So it allows you to really understand what you want to accomplish with your life and how you're going to get there. Um, And then another big thing I'd, I'd be remiss not to mention is actually our Own Your Worth research showed that couples who share in the financial decisions actually report greater satisfaction with their financial situation. They feel more confident that they'll achieve their financial goals. They say that they're less stressed out about money matters, and they actually say that they argue less about money as well. So that, I think, is a tremendous benefit for both parties within a couple being involved as well. And it's funny, you know, one of the reasons that I mentioned for why we see such high rates of deferral is this interest in keeping the peace. And yet, it does seem in our data shows that the peace is kept better when, when both parties are, are involved um, and, and equally share in the financial decision-making responsibilities. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think that's what we have found over the years in working with clients through a very defined process is that what we what, what, what we have realized that it creates is a, is a proactive conversation of us bringing up these topics uh, so that people can uh, communicate with their spouses around these different areas. And I think, you know, by, by improving communication, I think that that's everything in terms of how much more creatively and confidently people can think about the future. And, and quite honestly, when we initially go through a discovery process and a financial planning process with clients, there will be things that, that spouses will bring up about things that are important to them financially that the other spouse had no clue of. And, mm-hmm. and that, that's not to single anybody out. I think that's the norm. I think it, to your point, for all the reasons you had mentioned earlier, life is hectic. People tend to fall into certain roles and, and norms uh, within their own family unit. Um, people get busy. Things tend to get put on the back burner and you tend not to talk about some of these big picture items. And so I think, you know, just being a part of that process is what can make this uh, all the more empowering. And so I think you, you really sum that up nicely. And then for a lot of uh, uh, clients um, who may be wondering how they can become more informed about personal finance, I think there's there's a tremendous amount of interest in that as well. I think the issue, though, what I've seen is that there's just an overload of information out there. I think if you were to Google search wealth management or personal finance, you probably get 10 billion results out there and you almost don't really even know where to begin. Any guidance Mm -hmm. or resources as to where clients can maybe start off by just learning more about personal finance and and becoming more familiar around a lot of these different topics? Yeah, um, that's a great question. I would say, you know, the first thing to do is really to kind of think about what, how you learn best are you a numbers person? Are you a visual person? You know, maybe is a podcast the right thing for you or a book? Is talking it out with you and your team, Jack, you know, is that the best way to go about it? So that's one step. But actually, we have at UBS a a terrific website that we built in direct response to the findings of our Own Your Worth research. Uh, It's called our Own Your Worth Financial Participation Site. And it's available at UBS.com forward slash my money move. So that's UBS.com slash my money move. And on there, um, we have the 10 most important financial topics uh, for any women who are either looking to take that first step in in greater financial engagement or that next step, regardless of current level of financial engagement. And the site actually starts with a fun and interactive quiz 
which gets to the heart of exactly what I just mentioned before, which is um, it's not technical at all, but it really is meant to uncover your uh, learning style and, and we call it your money language. So maybe you are, you know, a numbers person and so it'll recommend from our algorithm a, a spreadsheet or maybe you are a visual person and it'll recommend a video. Um, and it'll also tell you sort of what you're motivated by. So maybe you're motivated by concrete goals and achieving them. And so it'll, it'll talk through the financial planning process, or maybe you're motivated by family. Maybe you're motivated by making the world a better place. And so some of the recommendations will be around philanthropy and sustainable investing, things like that. So I encourage everyone on the line to uh, to take that quiz at ubs.com slash mymoneymove. You can actually download the results um, that you get and share them with Jack and his team. Um, and that can lead to a greater discussion on some of the key points that come up from your results in terms of where to get started so that you're not trying to boil the ocean and you're really honing in on what's most important and relevant to you. Yeah, I couldn't endorse that resource more. Um, and we've had a lot of great feedback from that as a starting point. And then also, I know that UBS has been rolling out its own university, if you will, around personal finance. And whether it's uh, children or um, uh, high school or college students or even young adults or even um, uh, full, full grown adults, there's a number of different courses that clients can take to kind of get that personal finance 101 familiarity. And We've even had one client that's done all the courses uh, just so she could get better up to speed with uh, all those uh, aspects. So that's of the utmost importance. And I would also just um, like to get your thoughts on this, uh, Carrie, as well, just in terms of you know where to start. I think for us and what we try to encourage clients to do is that we have a quarterly review meeting process. We encourage all clients to take a part of that. We especially, though, want to encourage both spouses to be involved with the financial plan review that we typically do in the second quarter of the year. That's where really we're going to take the opportunity to to look at your goals and what it is you're hoping to accomplish and look longer term as to how you're doing and tracking towards those goals. And I think that's what really helps summarize all these different moving parts uh, in a way that can allow you to think more creatively and confidently about the future. But beyond just, just being a part of the the meetings or anything else? Is there anything else top of mind, Carrie, that you think could be beneficial for our audience uh, to consider when it comes to becoming more involved? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think, of course, participating in the meetings with you and your team and, and making sure that um, you understand your current financial situation as well as your goals for the future and how you're sort of tracking towards them is really important. And I would say a key step is just really taking stock of your current financial situation. And that involves understanding your net worth, which is all of the assets that you have compared to the liabilities or the debt that you've taken on. I think that's an incredibly important exercise that people often maybe don't fully realize. Maybe they have more assets than they expected or they've taken on more debt than they realize. And when you actually look at all of the assets that you have, that's an incredibly important exercise. And then on the flip side, also looking at from a cash flow perspective, spending, budgeting, looking at what you have coming in versus what's going out is another really important exercise. And that'll give you a good handle on your current financial situation, any gaps that exist, things like that. So I would definitely say 
just taking current stock of your financial situation. And then, of course, the financial planning process can be a really great way of understanding how you can track towards the goals that you have across a variety of considerations, including retirement, purchasing a second home, family considerations like maybe college tuition for children or or grandchildren, medical costs long-term care and and more. And then, of course, just making sure that you have all of the proper documentation in place in the event of the unexpected and making sure whether it means, you know, updating your will or estate plans, making sure that, you know, you have designated who would take care of you in the event that you become incapacitated in any way. All of that is also really important to make sure is up to date and that you're very much aware of and comfortable with what's, you know, on paper for those, those considerations. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And it's almost like, aside from our role as being financial advisors, one of the big things that we try to do for clients is organize and simplify their financial life. I think the the Mm -hmm. plan and the process is designed to do that. It's designed to encourage communication. But I also think, too, other resources like My Total Picture or our online aggregation service where clients can upload financial information is extremely important because- What we're essentially trying to do is eliminate that proverbial file cabinet that for decades everyone had in their basement where all the statements and all the financial documents end up being stuffed into and it just accumulates dust over the years. And then all of a sudden something happens and now everyone's trying to sift through everything to figure out where everything is and what it's worth. My Total Picture is an excellent resource. We also provide our monthly check-in emails as well. Uh, we know there's typically a lot of information in there, but we try to summarize it with the two to three bullet points of really the big picture things that we think is most important and beneficial for your review. So that's a great way of staying kind of informed as well. And then also, as always, give us a call anytime. Uh, this is what we're here for. If there's anything that's top of mind or important to you, please let us know. And I don't care what the question is uh, with respects to finances. Uh, don't hesitate to ask. Believe me, John and I have have heard it all from clients over the years, and we, we have no problem answering any question you have about your accounts or if it's even something we've covered before in the past. Uh, that, that's what we're here for. So really, with that said, Carrie, I think you bring up a lot of great points for clients. I think this is extremely beneficial. And really, uh, in closing, uh, we just want to make sure that our clients know that if they have any questions for Carrie or her team, I know that you'd be more than happy to answer them. Uh, if you have questions, let John or myself know and we can relay those to her. And we'd also appreciate your feedback as well. So Carrie, I just want to thank you again so much for taking the time to uh, join us on the show today. Thank you so much for, for having me. It's been great to, uh, to be with you and have this conversation. And um, I think it's such an important conversation to have. And, and it's truly never too late. Um, or too early to get involved in in the finances, regardless of your prior level of involvement, regardless of where you are in in your life stage or financial situation. So uh, I think it's a very important conversation to have. And and I really appreciate you inviting me to to be on. Well, we loved having you on. I think you do an outstanding job, Carrie, of of just having a very empowering message. it's, It's obviously an elephant in the room for a lot of clients to talk about some of these hard topics, but it's just, it's definitely one of those things where it'll tremendously benefit clients' lives in the long run. And it's really a, a, a positive call to action uh, for clients to, to make this important. So I we just can't tell you how much we appreciate your insights. And I just want to thank the audience for listening as well. John and I hope uh, that you all continue to stay safe and healthy during this time. And uh, we certainly look forward to speaking in soon. Thanks. Thank you.